0: I want to welcome everyone who's here today and everyone who's watching online with a special welcome to our brothers and sisters in Pakistan. Uh, we have, a, our, our services are being translated into their native tongue, and we just want to say, we see you, we love you, and we're glad you're hanging out with us today in Pakistan. So, hey, anybody, anybody, uh, anybody know what this is? What's shot of that? See, that's what they said last night at the 9 o'clock. Y'all are some mischievous, devious, little crazy folks. I'm not coming to your house, man, if you got, like, these little cameras. No, it's not a camera. It's a blind spot detector for a car. Ah. Now, my sweet ride that I'm currently rolling in, my 2012 Honda Pilot, didn't come with a blind spot detector. It wasn't a feature on that model, at least not on mine. But the cool thing is, in God's sovereignty, I still have in my 2012 Honda Pilot a beautiful, fully integrated, automated, verbally responsive BS detector. And her name is Cindy. Oh yeah. Oh, my blind spot detector, let me tell you, it spots all the BS. Uh, My blind spot detector, it'll it'll tell me if I'm um, driving too fast, if I'm uh, swerving excessively. My blind spot detector will tell me if I'm riding the, the bumper of the car in front of me, maybe just a little bit too close. My blind spot detector will even tell me where to park. Oh yeah, how to park where to stop for food, and even it'll tell me on a one-hour trip that I need to use the restroom 17 times. Awesome. Yes, my blind spot detector. And I want you to pray for me that I'm still married to that blind spot detector next week. Whew. Praise God. Hey, we're in week one of a series we're kicking off called Battle Ready. I'm so fired up for this series. So Thank you. Who was that? Was that Michael? Oh, you had to say that. You work with us. Come on, you have to say No, but I, I'm fired up, man, because like, I, maybe it's just me, but like the world in which we live, it's, it feels like a battle. It feels like we're, we're in a battle for our, our, our faith. But here's the hard part. I think a, a lot of us, if we're honest, that battle that we're in, it, it feels like a blind spot. Why? Because we can't fully see the enemy. I mean, Paul warned us about that, right? In Ephesians 6, 12 says, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in, in the heavens. And here's the thing about our enemy, these, these spiritual forces that we can't see. Not only can we not see them, but they also fight on a battlefield that's hard to detect. They want to attack us where the casualties will be the greatest. The greatest battlefield you and I will ever face is the battlefield within us. The real enemy that we face, our greatest enemy is our inner me. Let me, let me break that down. So what's attacking our inner me? Number one, we, we already heard about it, Ephesians 6.12, the spiritual forces of evil, those invisible forces sent by Satan, Satan's demons. But not just that, not just that. We have this thing called sin nature. Sin nature is this thing that we, we were born with, we, this, this, this bent, this proclivity to, to, to sin, this natural desire to, to sin. And so we're fighting an unseen enemy that attacks us, that whispers lies to us, that tries to deceive us. Add to that our sin nature. And sometimes we blame stuff on the devil. Sometimes it's not a devil. Sometimes it's just our sin nature. We, we, we like to blame it on the devil, but like sometimes it's just being stupid, right? And, and so, but here's the point. The battle, the real battlefield, you ain't gonna win any other battles if you can't first battle yourself. If you can't first conquer the inner me. That's the name of the message today, conquering the inner me. You ready to get in God's word? We're a Bible-reading church unapologetically. We read the Bible. Everything that that we believe in comes from this book. And so meet me in uh, Judges chapter 6. So uh, Israel, Israel's leader, Joshua, he died. And there was about 400 years between Joshua and King Saul, King Israel's first king. He'd be coronated about 400 years later. So that that gap was called the period of the judges. God would use 12 judges to rule his people. Well, one crazy judge that he picked, a guy kind of like you and me, was a guy named Gideon, who he would raise up to lead his people in battle. Now, you have to understand the backdrop. The Israelites had worshiped Baal for like, you know, and the foreign gods. And so for seven years, God allowed the Israelites to be persecuted by by the Midianites. It was hell on earth. They would steal their their livestock. They would kill their livestock. They would attack them and stole their crops. I mean, it, it was a mess. So Israel cries out to God, God, help us, deliver us from the Midianites. And so God raises up this dude named Gideon. Gideon was a farmer, but he really wasn't a farmer. He was a warrior who happened to be a farmer, but that's just what he did that wasn't who he was. Be careful, be careful, because what you do isn't who you are. Be careful, because the world be like, oh, oh you're, you're a banker? That's what you, no, no. That's, I happen to work at a bank, but I'm not a banker, I'm a son of God, All right? You're a warrior. And so, so God saw something in Gideon that Gideon could not see in himself. But the problem was Gideon wasn't bad already. Why wasn't he bad already? Well, The problem wasn't with his proficiency with a sword. Gideon's problem was proficiency with himself. He had to learn to conquer the inner me. Judges 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, no relation to Ophrah, that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Say those words, mighty warrior. Oh, say it again, mighty warrior. One more time, like you're ready to kick somebody's butt. Mighty warrior. Ooh, ooh, there we go. Let that wash over you because someone needs to hear that they're a mighty warrior today. of me, Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is, is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord getting replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. God, I thank you that your presence is enough. God, through your presence of your Holy Spirit today, I pray that you would help us fight this battle. Expose the lie of the enemy. Reveal truth to us in a way that only you can do. Shut me up, Lord, so you can speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So the angel Lord appeared to Gideon. He said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now I want you to put yourself in that in that place. Here's a, here's a guy that's afraid of the Midianites. And so he's threshing wheat in a wine press. And by the way, just just, just to let you know, for, for those who, who actually care, this is was actually the pre, we believe the pre incarnate Christ. And whenever it says the angel of the Lord, as opposed to an angel of the Lord, that's usually a pre-incarnate Christ. It's called a Christophany, a big word. It just means Jesus, before he took on flesh, he showed up in the tangible form. So so this is Jesus showing up in the bottom of a pit, a bottom of a wine press where he was threshing wheat. Now, I don't know if anybody's ever threshed wheat. We don't have to in our society. But let me just tell you, you don't, Thresh wheat in the bottom of a wine press. You make wine in the bottle of a wine press, but you don't thresh wheat. He was threshing wheat because he was hiding out. And by the way, threshing wheat is simply the process of removing the kernel of wheat from the useless outer shell of the wheat called the chaff. That would normally be done up on a hill, where you would uh, be either trampled or you could beat the wheat stalks. Either way, you you would prepare them, and then you would basically take the chaff mixed with, the, with all the, um, the kernels, and you'd throw it up in the air, and the wind, remember, Ophrah was about 10 miles away from the Mediterranean, so the wind from the sea would just whoosh, blow it away. But he's down, hiding out from the Midianites, trying to thresh wine, or thresh wheat in the bottom of a wine press. I mean, no, no fan, no industrial-sized fan. Like, can you, whoosh, whoosh, right? You can imagine, and that's where the Lord finds him and he calls him, hey, mighty warrior. I can just see Gideon. What, is there someone else in here? No, you're, you're a mighty warrior, that's, that's, that's what he saw, a mighty, mighty warrior. But how many know the pit does some crazy things to people? Some, 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 someone's with me today, someone's in a pit right now, metaphorically speaking, you're in some sort of issue, you're in some sort of drama, welcome to the crowd, that's life, right, and, and you're in the pit, And the the time in the pit can do some crazy stuff, y'all. How do we know? Look at verse 13. He answers them, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? The Lord has abandoned us. Someone has a lot of this going on in their life. This, that one word can represent a whole lot of stuff. You're in a pit, you're dealing with this in your life. And you're like, God, I can relate to Gideon, why has all this stuff happened? But we have to understand, he was in the pit largely, largely not, not necessarily solely, but largely because of their disobedience. For 43 years, they were, they were worshiping these, these, these other gods. And, and, it's, and it's kind of funny how we do that, you know? We do something stupid, and we're like, God. You know, you go out to the club. Drink and have a hangover, and you're like, God. Why do I feel so bad this morning? Because you went to the club, you idiot. What do you, what do you expect, right? And, and we blame it on God. And um, you know, I was thinking this week, uh, the parallel to what's happened in our nation. Can anybody relate to like, what God? What's all the stuff you're allowing to, to to happen to our nation? And God says, why'd y'all kick me out of school in 1962 when the Supreme Court outlawed prayer? And and I I did a a little search because I'm nerdy like that. And it turns out that violent crime in America since 1962 has gone up by 560%. God... How could you abandon us? How could you sell me out, right? And so and I'm not saying we made that decision, but we as a nation made that decision. And so here's the cool thing. Here's the redemptive part of God. Here's, here's, we can mess up, and there's that, that Romans eight twenty eight thing where he just like, you know, he can still use, he can take a bad day and still redeem something good out of it, right? And, and so there's, there's a plan for suffering. There's a purpose for suffering. I love what Warren Wiersbe wrote. He said, unless our suffering leads to repentance... It accomplishes no lasting good, and unless our repentance is evidence of a holy desire to turn from sin, not just escape from pain, repentance is only remorse. God is not interested in making us feel bad about our sin. He is interested in us turning away from that sin and going in a different direction. and we need Jesus Christ for that, like there's like the cross, like I need Jesus, I can't do it apart from Jesus, and neither can you, neither can I. But God uses that pit. Someone's in a pit, and I know it sucks, and you're like, ah, come on God. But he's using that pit to align us with our purpose. Some of us, you're out of alignment. I might be out of alignment. And and it's funny how we'll spend $150 on our car, right? We'll go to the Ford dealer, my man works at Ford. How How many alignments you do a week? Hundreds, hundreds of alignments a week. And yet we can't spend five minutes aligning ourselves with our purpose. And so God says, you know what? We could have done this the easy way, but now we got to do it the hard way. All right? But it's okay. It's okay because I love you. And so I'm going to realign you with the purpose for which you have been called. Because be careful. The enemy will distort and pervert your purpose. I need a volunteer. Burner. Get up here. He's a wrestler. Come on, Burner. I always try to pick people that I won't offend. And I always pick you, uh, Leon, so I can't, I can't be picking you every time. People think I'm crazy. So I want to illustrate the way your inner me can distort your image and your purpose and why God has to whoosh. Okay? Come on out here, Shane. So. There's a way that we see ourselves and there's a way that God sees us, okay? burner, how much body fat do you have, by the way? Um, close to 10%. Close to 10%, makes me sick. <laughs> you know, I wanna go, go eat a double-double from In-N-Out right now, it's 10%. Do I smile or just mean much? No, just, just, just yourself, just your normal self, all right? Don't worry, no one's watching. Uh, <laughs> All right, so, oh, see? Oh, you do the same thing. You get that, that picture, you're like zooming on yourself. Oh, that's good, it's fine. You can post that one. All right. All right, Burner. So, Burner, um, God, sees, God saw Gideon as a warrior. But this is how Gideon saw Gideon. He didn't see a warrior. He saw a wuss, okay? God saw Gideon as a conqueror. Gideon, Gideon, Gideon saw Gideon as a coward. A thin-nosed, big-fro coward. God, saw Gideon as a fighter. Gideon saw Gideon as a failure. A big, large four-headed failure. Wow. Sorry, I'm getting lost in my own illustration. Oh nice brows. I'm some brows right there. It's awesome. hold that for a second. Don't leave, don't leave. Now we're laughing, and, and tr- truthfully, it's really funny. You're gonna watch this back and you're like, <laughs> yeah. But here's what's not funny the fact that we see ourselves unlike God sees ourselves. That's the part that's not funny. God saw a mighty warrior. Gideon didn't see a mighty warrior in himself. And so he says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go. In the strength, I'll give you if you spend 15 minutes every morning praying. Now see, he's shaking his head because he thinks he's supposed to do that. But that's not what the Bible says. And and that's awesome. Yeah, spend 15 minutes praying. But he didn't say that. He said, Go in the strength, I'll give you if you tithe 10% to the church. No, he didn't say that either. Go in the strength. I'll give you if you don't cuss all week. Can you go one week without cussing? Burner, don't you lie. <laughs> Your mom's watching right there. You're, you, this is called, a, you're a, you are between a rock and a hard place right now. No, a full well, you're about to cuss tomorrow. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. He said, let me me make sure I get this right. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength burner you have. Not I'll give you, if you do a bunch of religious stuff, I mean, do that stuff not because you're trying to earn God's favor, but because you have God's favor and because you want to live out the life God's called you to live, amen. But he said, go in the strength burner that you have. Romans 12, three, God's given us, we talked about last week, a measure of faith. Everything that God's called you to, it's in here. It's in here, mighty warrior. Now, you need to hang around with people that are gonna pull that out of you because if you hang around bad company, corrupts good character, right? The Bible says that too, right? So you gotta hang around with people that are gonna extract that and help you fulfill the plan God has for you. But go in the strength, not that I'm gonna give you, go in the strength you already have, burner. Am I not calling you? Oh, yeah, come on, give God praise. <laughs> Woo! Come on. Yeah, you can go. But here's the problem: you're going to spend some time in the pit. We're clapping, and we, and we should, but just know that that involves a date with the pit. Like you're going it, to—that's it, unavoidable through the through the path of following Christ. What do I mean? Isaac, remember that pit he spent called Mount Moriah on the altar, where he's getting getting ready to be sacrificed to align him with his destiny, or or, or, or Moses floating in the Nile River in a little a little right, so that. Pharaoh's daughter could position him for provision and protection and blessing and purpose, right? Or or Joseph, how about Joseph's pit? 13 years in a prison for a crime he didn't commit so God could position him to to tell the dreams of Pharaoh and then allow him to be the governor. Or Daniel in the lion's den to give him favor with the Babylonians. Or or Paul, his his jail was was a literal jail in Philippi, where the jailer who didn't know Christ saw what God did, he accepted Christ, he and his whole household. Or Jesus, this, this pit called the tomb, that would literally save humanity. And you think you're not going to go through a pit? Whew, I don't know what kind of gospel we're reading. This is, this is part of the deal. And I'm not minimizing the, the challenge of being in a pit, I'm just maximizing what God wants to do in it, to align you with your purpose. But you say, Pastor John, man, my, this pit that I'm in, it's, it, it's, it's dark. What, what do I do? What's my biblical response, man, when I'm in the midst of a pit that God may be using to shape me and to align me with my purpose, but it's so dark. Last week, Sunday morning, 4 a.m., I was up praying to God. And I'm not that godly of a man. I'm just, it was Sunday. And, and Sunday I get up a little earlier, okay. And I was out on my back porch, and I was praying, and this bird landed on the ceiling fan outside, above my head. And I'm just like, God, come on! Like, I'm trying to pray to you, and like, I mean, you can smite that thing, you know? I mean, I don't even know if that's a bird sound, but it's, that's what it sounded like to me. And, and so, I, I I'm, okay. Some of you people are going to get mad. You're like, he's such a mean person. I didn't maim the thing, but I, I, I took a pillow and I like threw it up at the ceiling fan, not to hurt him, just to scare him, which I did. I scared him away for about a minute and he came back. Right there. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. So I ended up just, he won, he won. I ended up going inside and, and, and finishing my, my prayer in there. But, But I... I was like, you know, why is it that birds sing in the dark? I looked it up. I'm like, hmm. You say, well, how is that biblical? Romans 1.20. God reveals himself through his creation. So oftentimes God is speaking, even if we don't like it. So you look for God. You look for God. You look for God in his creation. It's called general revelation. The creator reveals himself through his creation. So, I look it up. The reason they sing, birds sing in the dark, number one, to defend their territory. So you're in the pit. It's dark. Things are coming against you. Attack is imminent. Birds sing so as to protect their territory. Not today, Satan. You ain't coming after my family. You ain't coming after my kids. You ain't going to whisper lies. You're not going to punk me. You're not going to take me out. Why? Because greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I'm speaking over my family. I'm pleading the blood of Jesus Christ over my kids. And I'm going to sing to you in the midst of the dark. Woo! Second reason. Second reason birds sing in the dark. If you look up, you can research. Do your own research. It's because the air is still in the morning. And their voice carries up to 20 times farther. Your witness in the midst of your pit is magnified for the world to see. I saw some guy, some old guy coming this morning and, and I was out there and I helped him up on the curb and I said, man, don't you know people were complaining about coming to church today because you know they didn't get enough sleep last night and they see you with your walker. You're in your, your physical pit and you know what? People are saying, you're like, wow, how could I ever complain about coming to church? So here's what I want you to do. When you're in the pit, and some of you are there right now, some of you are watching online, you're, you're there. Sing your way to victory. Just learn to sing your way to victory. I don't care if you sing or not. Sing your way to victory. But yeah, but Pastor John, that's great, but I don't, I don't see how that ties in to the, to the story that we're reading today. Well, I'll tell you how it ties in. Read chapter 7. You can go home and do that tonight. Spoiler alert. That's the battle chapter, and we're going to be talking about that next week on Mother's Day. Oh, yeah, why? Because mothers know how to battle for their family. Mothers are the toughest warriors you'll meet. But if you read that chapter, 300 men took out 135,000 Midianites. How? It wasn't with the sword. It was with their voice, shouting praise, and with a trumpet. I'm telling you, sometimes we gotta sing our way to victory. You're in a dark pit right now, start singing. Start singing. Sing your way to victory. And and don't you know, I love this church because it's not just us that's singing here. We're teaching kids in in all the ministries, our family life ministry. We are teaching young people how to worship. Here's, someone sent me this video this week. It's it's actually a video of a phone, but she's tape recorded. Seven-year-old Kinsley. Who goes to this church, and I want you to listen how God has used this church to shape her and how she sings to God. Listen. Ellie, I want you to know this song. It's about the lion. You want to hear it? Hail, hail, lion of Judah. Let the lion roar. Hail, hail, lion of Judah. Let the lion roar. uh -uh, uh -uh, uh -uh, uh -uh, uh -uh, uh -uh, Do you like that? Bye! I mean, oh man. Uh, we, Gavin, 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 I know where you're at. Next time we do that song, we gotta have her up here on stage where they're just let her. uh, 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 uh." I'm like, that's awesome. And and don't you know, as she grows, she'll have problems. She'll have challenges. She will find herself knee-deep in uh, some sort of pit. And guess what's going to happen? That is going to happen. It's preparatory for life. You learn that at early age. You learn to be a worshiper. You learn to be a daughter of God. So when all hell comes for you, oh, no, this lion, I got a lion inside of me, and it's going to roar. Satan, you ain't going to take me out. See, it's learned. It's a learned behavior someone says though, but man, I don't really have a song to sing. Maybe what you're going through is so heavy. And I was praying this morning. And I did, I felt like a heaviness for some of y'all. And I don't know who it, who it is, but like I felt the, the reality of the pit that you find yourself in. It's just, it's just, it's just heavy. Maybe, maybe it was for you, but, and thank you for being honest. I appreciate that, man. God can do a, a lot with an authentic heart. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but I felt the heaviness of, 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 and the weight of, of the pit that you're in. And some of you feel like, man, I can't even utter a word. You know what I want you to do if you can't sing? Chirp. Chirp like that incessant chirping of that bird that just chirped its way into a song. Hope, someone said, is like a, a bird that senses the dawn and carefully starts to sing while it's still dark. The bird sings while it's still dark and ushers in the light. Don't wait for the light become the light in the midst of your darkness and usher that light in through praise. Amen? Come on. Ooh. That's how we conquer the enemy. Verse 15, but, but, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in, in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. Doesn't that sound a lot like you and me? How we disqualify ourselves and oh, you know, Ken can do something great because, you know, he went to school and you're a man of stature, a man of reputation, but I could never do that. Isn't it funny how we disqualify ourselves from the very purpose to which God has called us? Crazy how we do that. And so good students of the Bible ask good questions. When you read the Bible, ask good questions. Okay, he says, I'm the weakest in Manasseh and the least in my family. Okay, where did he get that? I asked that question this week. I've preached through this passage several times. I've learned to ask better questions. Where did, he, where did he get that? So I researched it. His clan is Ebizer. That's his clan. And the funny thing is I couldn't find anywhere in the Bible, Dave, that says that that clan, that God said that that clan was the weakest. Hmm. So then I'm like, well, maybe he's talking about his tribe. The, tribe. the clan Ebizer comes from the tribe of Manasseh. So I'm like, okay, let's research Manasseh. And I'm, I'm a word guy and I'm a syllable guy. And so I, I put that up there and I, I break it down by syllable. And I'm like, hey, Berner, he was part of the Manass tribe. How cool is that? Like, what's wrong with that? How, what could possibly go wrong if you're a member of the Manass tribe? I mean, you eat protein and do a bunch of squats all day. Oh come on! Don't be so. Y'all are acting like I'm the devil up here. We're just gonna edit this out, anyways, on, online. It's like it never happened. I can smell that tribe coming a mile away. So, so God, did God say that the tribe was the? It didn't say the clan was the weakest. It said the tribes the weakest. No. And in fact, if you research Revelation seven. Remember, there's 144,000 Jews during the tribulation that are going to walk the earth and be uh, great witnesses, right, to the kingdom of God. And they're sealed from the Antichrist, so the Antichrist can't touch them. And these 144,000 come from 12 tribes. 12 tribes times 12,000 from each tribe. And guess who's listed in there? Manasseh. See, there's nothing. Jesus never said that the tribe was messed up or, or, or the clan was messed up. Never said that. And then he says, I'm the least... In my family. Where did he get that? I'm the weakest and I'm the least. Well, here's a hint. If you read Judges, if you read the rest of this chapter tonight, Judges 6, verses 25 through 32, Gideon's family worshiped Baal. It says so. Their family worshiped Baal. In fact, his dad Joash made an altar to Baal and a a pole to Asherah, the goddess of fertility. Like they were pagan worshippers, all but Gideon. And so what did God say? In, the, in, the, in this chapter, he goes on to say, tear it down. Tear it down. Tell someone, tear it down. Woo. That's the word for somebody today, tear it down. They told him to tear it down. And you know what he did? You know what he did? He tore it down. He took 10 servants and they went at night, the Bible says, because they were afraid of their family. You can read it in the text yourself. So he's afraid of his family because he's the only believer. They're unbelievers. And so check out what happens in verse 32. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubbaal that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. You know what Jerubbaal means? It means he that defends Baal. How many of you know, if you're listening today, that he wasn't defending Baal. He was defending the most high God. And yet, they gave him a name. They gave him an incorrect label for doing the right thing. Ooh, someone just got set free. You came in here bearing a label. You brought in like baggage. You drug in a label that somebody else gave you that wasn't from God and, was for, and you received it because you did something right. Not because you did something wrong. Not because you sinned. You received a label for doing something right, just like he did. And here's what I want to warn you about. This battle. The battle of the inner me. What's going on in the inner me? Be careful. Be careful. Because our, our inner me is informed by our outer world. What was spoken to you has an impact. So, so our experiences in life inform our beliefs about ourselves. Our beliefs inform our decisions and our decisions inform our results. Whoosh, trace that all back. It all starts with our experiences. You had an experience. It informed you. It, you, you allowed that that battle that was being waged. You believed a lie. You believed the label. And now that has been growing in your life and it's distanced you from Your purpose. And God is saying today, before you battle Midian, we all have a Midian. Before you battle your Midian, battle yourself. Battle yourself. And God is saying, I believe prophetically, 3,100 years later, tear down your father's altar. What is your altar? You know. Tear it down. Let me put it in in warrior language since we're in a a, a warrior series, a battle series. Let me put it in battle language. Kill what's killing you. There's something that you've allowed to creep on the inside and it's slowly eroding your faith. It's slowly causing a spiritual atrophy. Maybe you've been hurt by church or by a pastor. Maybe you've been burnt and it's just eroded to where you're like, you know what? Screw it. I don't care. Maybe you're watching online, you're like, i want to set foot in a church. <laughs> That's not the purpose for which you're called. God has a plan for your life and it doesn't involve sitting on the couch or sitting on the sidelines or even sitting in a chair and not serving and not being a part of biblical community. Like, you're the army the Bible speaks of. We are the army. And if not us, who's gonna do it? Who's gonna advance the gospel? Who's gonna bring hope? to a hopeless world. Who's going to do it? Kill what's killing you. What for some people that's false expectation. Someone someone put an expectation on you that was not from God. You never lived up to it and you felt bad for never living up to it. It was never from God. Release that. Kill what's killing you. Tear it down. For somebody it was it was an accusation. Someone maligned your character. They disparaged the very essence of who you are, inappropriately, incorrectly, inaccurately. And you've been carrying that with you because you love that person. And God says, lay it down, tear it down. For a lot of us, it's a name. A name or a word, a label that was spoken over you by your mother, by your father, by a loved one, by your ex, maybe by a pastor. And God says, tear it down. Kill what's killing you. I'll tell you right now. Can I be honest with you? That's something I've had to deal with. Full disclosure. I had London. London, where you at? London. London. I saw you come in. London, where you at? Stand up, London. This is meet London. That's London. He's got the coolest hair in the church. <laughs> London's been. How long have you been coming? Like three weeks? About three weeks? Yeah. And so, um, so you told me. You remember what you said to me last week? What'd you say? I look like Two-Face from Batman. <laughs> so I dropped him right there in the lobby. No, no. So, okay, so, but, but here's, so here's the funny thing. That's Two-Face from Batman. I, I, it's uh, Harvey Dent, right? I had to look it up. Now, maybe you're not like me, but I think there's people who are. Have, have you ever noticed, like, when someone tells you you look like someone and it's someone maybe you like or someone that's cool or someone that's, you actually kind of want to be like that person. So I'm looking, I'm like, you know, I could grow my hair out maybe. Not that there's a lot to grow out, but you know, and, and, but, but here's the problem. That's his definition of who I look like, okay? Rewind the tape. Back in the day, I used to have a bunch of people and we used to joke about it. People would tell me I look like Patrick Swayze, okay? And, and so, hang on. So what I would do, it make me wanna go dancing. Oh, no, it's true, it's true, it's true. We even, took, we even took line dancing courses, you know, like we wanted to go line dancing. And so it made me, it made me want to do that. It made me want to be like him because after all. And then someone told me I look like Clint Black. Made me want to get a cowboy hat, get a jacked up truck and play sad country songs. But then someone said I look like John Cena. Now that one, I was like, I... We were, we were in Israel. I kid you not. Michael just got back from the Holy Land. Well, we were in the Holy Land, but I wasn't very holy because I was on a pride trip because two people came up and they're like, you look like John Cena. And I'm like, really? <laughs> well, I, I don't know, really. I've never been told that. You know? So I'm like, God's dealing with my pride the whole rest of the trip. But here's where, here, here's, here's where it goes back. Back when I used to teach school and I had a little seventh grader in, in health class told me I look like John Travolta. I thought, oh, that's really cool. But I didn't know it was a joke. You know what they were joking about? They are making fun of my butt chin. Because <laughs> the next day they all walk into class with a, uh, with a scotch tape. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they walk in with scotch tape imitating Mr. Lipinski's butt chin. And I thought, oh, I look like John Travolta. Oh, yeah, yeah, with the butt chin, you do. Part, apparently that's part of the Manass tribe, I don't know. I'm trying to redeem it, okay? I'm trying to bring it back together. Here's my point. There's only one person that can define you. The right to define you and to define me is reserved for one alone. That's the person who created you. Your creator reserves that right. Come on. Woo! And he said, I'm loved. He said, even with my big old butt chin, that I'm redeemed that I'm precious in his sight, that through his strength, I'm more than a conqueror. And he says the same thing about you. And guess what? He means it. He means it, which is why he proved it. God demonstrated his love for us. While we were yet sinners, as jacked up as we can be, he died for you and he died for me. He proved it. He proved it. So here's here's what we're gonna do. Here's, Here's your assignment, okay? Your assignment Every warrior must know truth. Every warrior must be able to discern truth from a lie. And we've been getting punked for way too long. So what I want you to do is exactly what Paul told us to do in in, in, uh, Ephesians 6, verse 12. Actually, it's in that chapter, not verse 12, but it's in that chapter, Ephesians 6, where he talks about putting on the full armor of God. One of the armaments of that armor is the belt of truth. I want you to take everything that is spoken over you or your family through the belt of truth. Funnel it through the belt of truth. I'm calling it take the belt test. This week, someone's gonna say something and it ain't gonna be from God and you're gonna wanna believe it. You're gonna wanna, oh, you're a bad mom. You're a bad dad. You're, you're, you know, because your kids didn't turn out perfect. (laughs) That's not what God says about me, right? You're, you know, I, Your marriage went wrong because you didn't do this, you didn't do that. That's not really what God says. I can learn from mistakes and pass, but like, what does God say about me? Belt test every single word because the enemy is going to try to whisper lies. Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Somebody, as we close today, someone's like, You know what? I'm with you. But I still feel like I'm not sure if I'm enough. You're shaking your head again. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. (laughs) You're shaking your head. Gary, you've been a pastor for 35 years. And he's still shaking his head in in humility. Boy, we can learn a lot from you, Gary. Thank you for humility. Thank you for going first. Thank you for leading by example. Here's here's what I want to tell you. Gideon felt the same way. David, shaking in his armor with the stone the sling of the giant. David, he's, he's afraid. Me, every week, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. And I know I am to some degree. But like, I'm the, I'm the same. I feel the same. Here, here's what you need to hear. The Lord answered. I will be with you, daughter of God. I don't know what you're walking through or what you're about to walk through, but he wants you to know he's gonna be with you. And he wants the rest of us to know that he's gonna be with us. And if last time I checked, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can fight us with the power of Christ? So let me pray over you with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, I thank you. You call us conquerors. You say that we are more than conquerors through you. I pray that we will believe that. That that verse wouldn't just be something written on a page, but it would find its way to our very core, to our very soul, to the inside of these bodies where our battle and our greatest battles exist. I pray that we would feel like conquerors. And when we don't feel like conquerors, because there's days where we don't, God, I pray that we would sing. We We would sing our way to victory. We would chirp our way if we don't have a song, God. We would lift our voice to you, knowing that you're listening, knowing that you care, and that through you and you alone, you provide the victory. But we gotta do our part. We gotta fight with the tools you've given us. Fight. Like warriors fight to conquer the enemy. Help us do that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't know Jesus, you want to know him, just pray a prayer like this. Say, Jesus, I need you in my life. And I come to you as your child, asking you to fill me. I feel empty. Fill me with your presence. Make me a warrior. Make me your child. I give you my life. My heart beats for you from this very moment on. Welcome me into your army. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's welcome them in the family of God. Come on. Yeah. Yes. Come on. And If you made that, if, if you made that prayer, said, prayed that prayer, uh, I just want to tell you, stop at our Connect counter. We got a little free gift for you. If you're in a season where you are battling something, before you go, I want to invite you to pray with our pastors and our prayer team. We'll be down here. We want to pray with you. You are not alone. We love you, and we, want to, and we fight better together. Next week, bring your mama and her friends, and we're going, to have, we're going to have some fun in here. We are going to talk about the battle chapter and honor our moms for the warriors that they truly are. Don't miss that next week. It's going to be awesome. Until then, have a great week. Go out in that battlefield and kick some butt. We'll see you next week.